Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, as it's the weekend, you've got a bit more time to, to be honest, you've got a bit more time to listen all the time at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're going to give you a sort of bumper edition because we had a chat today, a little sporting memory session. We're doing it every Friday around 2.30 at the moment when we look back on a, a sporting moment. The listeners weigh in with their uh, tales, their memories. We spoke today to John Motson and to Bobby Gould about the 1988 FA Cup final between Wimbledon and Liverpool. They were both on fine form reliving that, so uh, you'll hear that. We gave you Steve Bruce's murder mystery. It was a cliffhanger at the end of Chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, yeah, we had a bit, a bit of chat about Steve Bruce's bits, and we had a, our own bits, and uh, we did the road trip, didn't we? And yeah. uh, To from uh, Rio. Rio, that's right. Yeah, Mike Ward was there with his uh, very entertaining uh, look at TV coming up this weekend. Yeah. And uh, Martin Kellner. Martin Kellner, that's right. Looking back on a, uh, he's been watching some sport. He's found some sport on TV, but it's not necessarily a sport uh, you would expect. So here it all is. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Afternoon, Paul, and uh, start with the news that Wimbledon, they had the foresight, I don't know if you've seen this, they had the foresight to ensure against infectious diseases getting the tournament called off. So they're going for a hundred million pound cancellation payout. Wow. Uh, but you can imagine if, if the insurance company or anything like the insurance companies I've ever dealt with, they'll be going, they'll be trying to wriggle out of it, won't they? They'll be saying, oh, well, when we said infectious diseases, we didn't mean that one. We meant COVID-18, not 19. I think you'll see, <laughs> if you look at the small print, it's not quite there. You, can you see that happening? Can you see the uh, insurance company lumping a hundred million? What? What a terribly cynical view of the insurance industry, Andy. I don't know where you get those kind of ideas from. Nothing, surely, from personal experience. No, no. Or indeed, that of the listeners would tell you that they wouldn't just be immediately sending you a cheque within about 20 minutes or 100 million quid. Um, <laughs> it's not likely, is it, really? Uh, the dog, the dog, that was just, was, oh, sorry, carry on, on, Andy. You carry on. 
No, tell us about the dog first. I was going to say it was a solo bark. Um, it didn't turn into anything more than that. It was the breaking news before Ross gave us the news and sport. Dog barked. I think it was about the first time I've heard from her since I've been yes. doing the show at home for a week and a bit. But it did strike me it might, it might lead to some good tales of work interruptions because this is unusual for us. You know, normally, strange years, broadcasters, we come from a studio. But uh, like a lot of people at the moment, we are all coming from home. Even on pe- people on TV are doing this. But many of you out there are probably used to working from home. And there probably have been some top um, interruptions. Maybe you've been on a kind of conference call or you've been in vision doing stuff and you've had little moments or things have gone on while you've been working from home and you've, uh, you've had to cover up and keep going. So let's have a few of those tales uh, this afternoon. It's probably happening to people uh, even more regularly than usual. You can get in touch at TSHNJ, T-S-H-A-N-D-J. Contact us at talksport.com. You can text to 81089, tweet TSHNJ, call us on... Oh eight seven one seven double two double three double four. Yes, boy. I'm talking about embarrassing moments at home. Uh, Norwich. I don't know if you saw this. Norwich City star Tim Closer was left red-faced after being caught watching something called Pornhub. I'm not sure quite what it is. Okay, but, he was uh, left red-faced. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Ace posted an Instagram update of him watching Netflix, but forgot to close down a tab from the porn site. Uh. One fan wrote. Looks like Tim Close is enjoying lockdown. Well, fair enough for him. Yeah. And, uh, and a similar, well, not really a similar thing. I'm, but, sure, the, but, I'm sure the Norwich boys won't give him any clog about that when they all meet up. No, I'm sure not, that will be forgotten by then. I'm sure the WhatsApp group has not been alive with uh, uh, materials. Uh, Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, congratulations to Bernie Eccleston. He's going to be a dad at the age of 89. His first son, he's had three daughters. Uh, Now he's he's married to a woman who's 44. She's pregnant and going to have a son. But Mm. I was thinking about it. I mean, 89 is quite old to be a dad, really. I mean, they're going to, when he, time he has a kickabout, he'll be age 101. And when he'll be (laughs) dealing with a terrible teen, he'll be 105. That might be quite (laughs) tricky, but good luck to him anyway. It might be, what time do you call this? I mean, the thing is, Bernie at that age will be up. When his, uh, when his uh, teenage son's coming in at sort of 17, 18 years old from a night out, Bernie would have been up for about two hours already. So <laughs> that's the way I'll be working. Um, I just want to congratulate uh, Chris Kamara, old mate Chris Kamara, on his 10th anniversary. It's a, a fantastic one. 10th anniversary uh, for Chris Kamara. That's the 10th anniversary of him missing that red card at the uh, Portsmouth Blackburn game at Fratton Park. I mean, a career changer, you'd have to say. It's probably one of the most famous football clips of the last decade. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, the te- it's ten years ago today. Cammy has just been uh, soccer him tweeted out, and it's a it's still a very funny clip. It still works. We must try well. and catch up with. We haven't spoken to Cammy, have we? Must try and catch no. up with him and see how, how he's going. Uh, I thought I was irascible, but uh, <laughs> till I heard the Duke of Edinburgh on oh, yeah. a Test Match Special have decided to open up their archives for the last forty years and publish the uh, thing that they call View from a Boundary. They do on a oh, Saturday. Oh yeah, very good. And they interview. It's very it's very good. But they had one from uh, 1987 with uh, Duke of Edinburgh and Brian Johnson. Mm. I feel sorry for Jonas. Absolutely every single question he asked Prince Philip, he contradicted. So he really? said, uh, you, I understand you've been the second man to be president of the MCC if you know, for twice. And he said, no, no, I'm not. 
And I think you'll find there are other people. And he said, no, no, he's not. And they started almost arguing about it. Oh, and no. He just said, and he says to him, oh, you, you opened, uh, you launched the new, opened the new stand at uh, Lord's. And he went, no, I didn't. I launched it. I didn't open it. He said, oh, for goodness sake, give the bloke a chance. He's always struck like me, though, the Duke of Edinburgh, Andy, is quite affable and easygoing. I don't oh, know yeah. about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you tell me. <laughs> um, unbelievable, really. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, that was good. Last night, I took uh, the opportunity to watch uh, Fantasy Football League with Eddie Large, late great Eddie Large, and he, yeah. he was terrific on it, really. His football knowledge was excellent. I mean, it's it's funny how much it sort of holds up, really. I mean, some of it's obviously dated, but some of it is, you know, still works pretty well. And um, Are you were in on the, the clip that I watched. Um, there was a clip, and you're standing next to Stato, and your voice comes out. Eddie's there, and you choose the game he's going to play, and the game that Eddie's uh, going to play is against the Times' Alison Rudd, who we, we see there, a very young uh, Alison Rudd from the Times. I know, um, absolutely. With, with a load of Elvis impersonators. And it was, a, <laughs> yes. it was that kind of show, if you haven't seen it, kids. And, um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm sure you're in vision, Andy. I can certainly hear your voice. Um, no, no, it's my it? voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I did. I, yeah. I, I thought, I was listening to it and I thought, that voice sounds familiar. And, and then I played it again. Of course, it was me. I, I, yeah. got, you know, like you can imagine, I've forgotten everything. Um, <laughs> but I found out that Motti's, we'll, we'll mention this to him, Motti's team was called Oak Lodge Albion, mm. named after his house. I don't know if he still lives in the same house. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and uh, he was bottom of the table, which is a bit unfortunate, really. But th there you go. There, there, was some, there was one moment in it that was fantastic, though. It was David's ode to Matt Letizia. It was a plea to Terry Venables mm. to pick Matt Letizia for the 96, you know, Euros. And yeah. it, it's just done in such a moving way. And even Frank, they come back and say, I've got a tear in my eye. It was just a, <laughs> David loved Matt Letizia. He just loved the way he played. But uh, it's interesting because mm. the, the programme had a lot more of the fantasy football element in it than I remembered. And I now remember why I decided that we ought to get rid of it because it wasn't that interesting, really. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, was, but it was fun to watch. trick that uh, Matthew Harding, the late Matthew Harding, played on David. He was... They were at a game and Matthew Arden was sitting behind David at the game and just before kickoff he, he put his hand on his shoulder and whispered in his ear, I've bought Matt Letissier. And like Dave was like bursting, the old bottom lip was going. And then about five minutes later, he tapped him on the shoulder again, and he was holding up the Corinthian figure of uh, of Matt Letizia. So uh, yeah, I know he was he was always a big fan. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. This is Paul Hawksman, Andy Jacobs here on Talk Sports. And uh, at the top of the show, my dog started barking. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people working from home at the moment around the country have had a few uh, interesting moments, either in the past when they've worked from home or certainly since we've had the lockdown. Uh, this comes from JT. Uh, gents, uh, this uh, happened to me this week. I was on a conference call with my line manager when my three-year-old son decided to have a meltdown and physically assault me with his favourite teddy, shouting, where's your tool? <laughs> You've been watching too many Danny Dyer films. <laughs> While my manager watched on on camera. 
So thank you, JT. So let's a few of those moments you've had in this lockdown or before, uh, embarrassing moments when working from home. A bit like um, who are you telling us? One of the Norwich boys earlier on, Tim Closer. Yeah, Tim Closer. Yeah, got uh, was looking at some uh, exotic websites, wasn't he? Uh, apparently. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. Keep them coming. Talk Not to aware of this particular website. Text. Oh yeah, Jenny Recon. <laughs> Text eight ten eighty nine. Tweet T S H and J. Annie, what else have you uh, noticed? Well, I, I've got today's small story that would never have made it before uh, and it's this one from uh, Texas. Uh, a mum and dad poured their daughter's hair conditioner into their tea as they believed it was honey. Jasmine Guillen, 20, of Texas said parents Dashio and Janice were shocked when she pointed it out. They actually that's made a, the papers. That's a front page, that is, isn't it, at the moment? <laughs> oh, so? Not really. Yeah. And... Um, Definitely. Where was this bit about? Oh, yes, it's uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is launching a The Show Must Go On channel on YouTube <laughs> so people can see people can see his musicals for free. No, thanks. Wow. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm not, a I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a massive fan, I've got to be honest. The um, <laughs> This was a weird survey. The, the good people, that's a little quiz for you. Good people at Draper Tools. Uh, remember who they used mm. to sponsor back in the day? Which Premier League football club they sponsored? Oh, Draper Tools on the front. Of a shirt. I'd say Norwich, I'd say. Oh, no, no, no. It was, uh, it was Southampton. Don't remember Draper Tools. Southampton, OK. A long time no, ago. No. Um, they yeah. did a little survey looking at <laughs> the a man who can't remember anything that happened yesterday or even <laughs> on the same day. I'm not going to remember Draper Tools. Top God. <laughs> Uh, top 10 DIY things that people love doing. And this is complete rot. Um, because, where is it? At number three, apparently the DIY job that people love doing is building flat pack furniture. And you think, that must have been the, the kind of the, uh, catalyst for the, the amount of, um, a huge amount of marriages that broke up over people doing flat pack furniture. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's no fun in that. Is there really? Surely yeah. not. It's, a, it's, it's very it's hard. A, it's a bind. Uh, they went with planting seeds. Uh, number two was mowing the lawn. Number three, building flat pack furniture. Number four, weeding. Number five, jet washing the patio. I don't mind a bit of jet washing because you get instant no. gratification. You watch very the paving stones so, yeah. change another colour. There is no finer feeling. Well, there are finer feelings in the world, as Tim Closer would tell you. Exactly. Yeah, painting with a roller, uh, hanging a picture, painting a fence. <laughs> Uh, you get the idea, DIY. I just thought it was more about the Harold Bratback furniture that I, had, I thought was a bit weird. <laughs> we love the Harold Bratback. Yeah. And uh, you can always rely on the uh, Daily Star texts for a bit of interest. And uh, Stevie from Motherwell wrote in, he said, why not have a celebrity game of snooker on the TV live and the money race it goes to the NHS? He's not thought this through. How, they, how would they actually do that? They'd have to have two snooker tables, wouldn't they, really? It's not going to happen, is it? Somebody would have to put all the balls in exactly the same positions after one shot. So you got Jim. So you have Jimmy and Ronnie play against each other, for example. So Jimmy takes a shot, or he breaks the balls, then Ronnie would have to put all the balls in exactly the positions where Jimmy <laughs> take hours, take absolutely hours. hours. Then he Such a bad idea. Jimmy's, yeah, sorry, Stevie, mate, you haven't thought that I'm, through. Have you? Really? I often wonder when people are the edit. I'd love to edit these particular columns. You know, when these letters come in, is there oh, anybody yeah. there going, well, well, that's ridiculous. There's no point printing this. That's utterly ridiculous. But they do, I suppose, otherwise they wouldn't have any letters. Like, well, here Leo we are talking it. about it on national radio. <laughs> well, so they would say, true. job done, whoever does edit them, yeah. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. But this one, it says, uh, that it's even the headline letter, this, the repair shop does not need celebrity fix. TV's repair shop is really good. Please don't let Z-list celebs get their faces on it and ruin it. You think... 
Well, who says they're going to? No one's even they, suggested that. No. Like, there's no celebrity element to it. There will is be. There? I mean, it's, there will, it be. will Ser- be. Series four. <laughs> Series four, you'll have, you'll have a celebrity coming in with a broken all clock star, or something. All-star repair shop. <laughs> anyway, uh, we move yes. on because uh, we get to the end of chapter one this uh, today of Ooh. Steve Bruce's murder mystery. This is the book Striker that Steve wrote. That's right, Steve Bruce, the Newcastle manager, wrote this book in uh, the late 90s. It tells the story of the Lettersford town boss, Steve Barnes. Uh, a bit of a coincidence there. He's trying to get his team into the Premier League. He's been telling his story. Let's briefly recap before we bring you to the end of Chapter 1. I'll give the police a bell, Carberry said. There was a crooked smile on his lips. Eddie Carberry was enjoying this. This was his big chance. Because I got there before the squad, it was a surprise when I bumped into young Pat Duffy. There was a faraway look in the lad's eyes. What's the trouble, son? He took an envelope from the pocket of his jacket. I opened the envelope and read the letter inside. What I read was a mess of ill-written abuse mixed with threats. Best place for that is the wastebasket, son. But he says he's going to kill me, Duffy said. Yes, Steve has been found standing over the body of his star striker with a knife in his hand, but he hasn't done it, as he's been telling us. Well, he says Let's see if we got a bit of a cliffhanger ending to Chapter 1. Take it away, Steve slash Dance. exercise would take Duffy's mind off the foolish letter. For some reason, I did not throw the letter in the waste bin where it belonged, but kept it in the pocket of my suit. I attached no importance to the letter. Like I said, it was from a nutter, some sick loner with nothing better to do than make idle threats. The training ground is five miles from the ground. We could travel there in a group, in the bus, but we always go by car. That allows some of the players an extra hour or so in bed. Young men like to sleep on, especially if they've been clubbing the previous night. Has Pat Duffy gone out? I asked the girl on reception. She didn't know. I expected him to be standing next to my car. He wasn't there. I waited, growing impatient. When Duffy did not come after ten minutes, I was getting angry. Young man or not, potential star or not, he would have to learn who was the boss. And you don't keep the boss waiting. I checked the reception area. I checked the toilets. Finally, I went down to the locker room. The sight that confronted me as I entered was something for which I was totally unprepared. Young Pat Duffy, air striker, was stretched out on the floor in a pool of blood. An involuntary gasp issued from my lips. It was foolish. I went over and pulled the knife from his back. Someone had taken him unawares. That's how it was when Carberry came in. Bright red blood on the knife blade, the knife in my hand. Duffy's dead body stretched out on the locker room floor. I didn't do it, I said weakly. And England didn't win the World Cup in 66, he sneered. I put the knife down. Even then, it occurred to me that my prints were on the handle. It was half past nine in the morning. What started as just another Monday morning had suddenly turned pear-shaped. Eddie hitched his backpack onto his right shoulder. I'll give the police a bell, Carberry said. It is very football, isn't it, Andy, to look at uh, a young player murdered with a knife in his back and say the deer's gone pear-shaped. 
Like, <laughs> you've got a flat tyre. Also, it wouldn't be your immediate reaction, wouldn't it, to see a body lying on the ground with a knife in the back and think, I'll pull the knife out. I mean, even if they're alive, they could bleed out. It's not a great idea. He hadn't thought not it through, really. Steve. He'd not done rudimentary first aid. No. Um, 30 uh, is very early for a murder, I thought, as well. Yeah. And, uh, I love the fact that Steve... Steve saw it in here, an involuntary gasp. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible yeah. already. And I the mean, it's bright gonna, red it's, blood. Yeah, it's going to affect then. his resale value, isn't it, Pat Duffy? <laughs> uh, although I think <laughs> Harry might have taken a chance on him. Me and Kev, we've had a look at Pat Duffy. Yeah, I know he's dead, but I tell you what, he can still do a job. Get the right price, we'll definitely sign him. Kev's had a I look I quite like it. Once we've done this, if we can find Pele's murder mystery, that would be a good challenge for Dance to see if we can read a whole book in the style of well, Pele. Look, this is only chapter one. <laughs> uh, depending on how well, it's long only the lockdown two, is. We won't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got a fair bit of work to do. Dance's nose has taken on a different shape because he has to push his nose into his face to perfect the <laughs> Steve, the Steve Bruce impersonation. So he's in quite a lot of pain doing this. So good job this isn't, this isn't a kind of weighty tome. It's only 128 pages. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Let's head back to Brazil now. Day seven of uh, our trip to Rio for the 2000 and World, uh, 2014 World Cup. This is how it all unfolded a week in. Good afternoon, uh, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Uh, I've just had a tweet from which will lead into this next bit, and it's from Tony Wooderson. He says, I love the show. He said, but if you can pick me up a Fluminense shirt in a large, I'll sort the cash out when we get back. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, a personal yeah. shopper. Any other shopping orders? <laughs> Anything else you want while we're here? <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't worry about the luggage allowance. <laughs> yeah. Probably cost us 350 quid yeah. to bring it. If you'd back. like me to bring you back a pair of Havaianas, just yeah. text in. It's no problem. Give me your shoe size and everything. I'll bring them. <laughs> we did a Phoenix from the Flames years ago with uh, Alunga Mawepu, the uh, Zaire player you may remember yeah. who ran out of the wall and mm. kicked the ball out the other end in the 1974 World Cup and uh, on the way back he had a bit of a he had a bit of a spend up before he headed back <laughs> he didn't did, he? Yeah. and uh, Ian Morris now of course uh, co-creator of, of the uh, excellent in-betweeners and more uh, was working on the show with us and as a French speaker went along the airport to make sure Alunga mm. got off uh, okay back back home to Zaire because there'd been a few problems obviously getting him in and out of the country mm. uh, with the political situation as it was then and uh, Ian phoned us up he said He's got some excess baggage. Won't let him leave the country. He can't. And we had to front it. It's 350 quid. I know, in those 350 days. 350 20 quid years ago, it was a lot of money. To get uh, his luggage. He turned up with bags and bags of stuff. Well, and Indiana know. was thinking, she's going to have to pay it. Well, know, if he doesn't turn up on that flight, it could have pretty serious repercussions yeah, for his family. Absolutely. So it was. Because he was expected. I mean, someone was waiting for him at the other end. But anyway. Anyway, we went to. Paul and I went to the Flamenco Club shop yesterday. It was mm. a great experience. And uh, I bought a, a lovely training top. And I'm, I'm wearing it today. You are, yeah, looking and, good. Uh, we went out to Budgeons where we go for our breakfast. Well, it's not, if they're listening, Budgeons, I mean, it's, it's not Budgeons, it's like Budgeons. It's, it's, it's yeah. handily placed, uh, and you get the idea, it's not yeah, it's Budgeons. A, yeah, it's not, but it's got a cafe in the back. It's called Zone of Saul, if you really, yeah, yeah, really want to know. They ask me every morning, <clears> we're <throat> such regulars now, <clears throat> they ask me every morning if we got a Zone of Saul card. <laughs> I know. I think I would have applied for one had I yeah. known. The woman on the counter looks like Victor Moses, she really does, and she, <laughs> yes. she's quite disappointed. She's hoping for a transfer to uh, Fortnum's or Harrods, where they won't actually play, they just leave her in the 
staff yeah, can she's, see. She's not. She's service with a scow, isn't she, <laughs> no, old Victor? She is really. Anyway, carry no, on. Anyway, so, and uh, more later because they, they just don't do enough croissants. But I'm having a word with the manager. He's got, he's got, he can't <laughs> let it go. <laughs> yeah. He said, "If I could speak Portuguese well enough, I would go and tell him <clears throat> you're getting it all wrong. Just let it go." Just yeah, but every day they sell out of croissants. Well, why not have more croissants? It's stupid. An old tray of cake that nobody wants. I'd say to him, "Look at this cake. Who wants this cake? Yeah. Get some croissants, mate." I was even thinking of buying the ham and cheese one and throwing away the ham and cheese. What some kind of statement? <laughs> God, just, God, Andy, just don't yeah, get stressed I'm not, about I'm not this. complaining. I'm yeah, not. Go on, of course you're not. We no, are constantly. No. So, Carry on. So, so I wore that shirt, and Paul immediately, he's always a bit sort of <laughs> security conscious, says to me, oh, Andy, you know, you might get attacked by a Cruzeiro Vasco yeah. da Gama That's supporters. You know, the woman who supports Botafogo refuses to serve you in budgets. Somebody <laughs> spitting in your coffee <laughs> because she's a Vasco fan. Oh, right. crazy. Yeah. We, we had a great experience yesterday. We, uh, a friend of mine is working with the uh, ITV. She works with commentators. And she's very well in with the ITV team. So she said, uh, come along to the ITV hotel. Yeah. And, and the Dutch team are saying this. So, I mean, honestly, for Paul and I, it's a dream, really. You know, how could we ever believe this, really? Yeah. We're sitting there watching with Glenn, Gordon Strachan, Lee Dixon, uh, Dirk Coit was on the next table with Wes Schneider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And one by one, everybody got up. They, they weren't really interested in the game. They it was a good game, Columbia game. But they all sort of had other stuff to do. But Glenn, Glenn just stayed there, didn't he? And he was so interested in the football. Yeah. And you just think, I looked at him. And Some you of just, the stuff he was saying during the game yeah, was really interesting. Brilliant. And th this man's mind, this coaching man's mind, it, it can't be lost to football. It'd be really, really a tragedy. You know, he should be in football. And there was a lovely moment because I know that you, you as a Spurs fan, Paul, you, you love Glenn, Glenn Hoddle. He's one of your childhood heroes. So I, oh, well, I, just, I was just having a little football chat with Glenn. I was going to let it go. And, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I met him a couple of times before. But, you know, chance to have a proper chat with him, watch a bit of football with him. But just as we're leaving, you do it, don't you, Andy? <laughs> yeah. I said to him, look, he, honestly, uh, Glenn, Paul, but Paul loves you. He does. He's sure your, your favourite. <laughs> you do realise this man worships you. Yeah, yeah, it, was yeah. a bit, it was a little bit. Eggy. He was a bit. So eggy. we did have a picture. But he was lovely about it. Wasn't yeah, he, he was. He had a photo done. So, so that that was great. We're all living together over yeah. here. The talk sport presenters and producers in three different apartments. Uh, and Andy has been keeping an eye on things, and he records mm. uh, what's been happening uh, amongst the team oh, yeah. in the uh, Big Brother uh, diary. The talk sport Big Brother. You've got it, haven't you, Andy? I have. I'm ready. I'm so ready. You've shuffling bits of paper. Be yeah. ready to go. Here we go. Day 12, and the moose has gone into hysterics when Ray Parler has attacked him with a dead wasp. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this, uh, basically there was a, a wasp laying on the table. The moose is going, oh, I don't like wasps. So, I uh, just like that. Yeah. So, Ray killed it, being a professional footballer. Great hand-eye coordination. And then managed to flick it. <laughs> Down to the other end. So it was dead. Well yeah. dead. Yeah. Um, and it flicked it down the other end of the table. And it went down the moose's cleavage. And he was going, ah! <laughs> so that's what, I that's do what like, happened there. I do like the concept, though. I don't like wasps. I mean, who, who does? does? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got a wasp farm. I breed them. Oh, yeah, a big wasp breeder is fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, where am I going here? Hold on. Oh, yes. Dear 12. And Mark Saggers, aiming for the poshest beach in Ipanema, has inadvertently strayed onto the one specifically for gay people. <laughs> people then think him and morning executive producer Denny Morris are a couple. <laughs> that one doesn't need any explaining. That doesn't, does it really? Yeah. And I can see how they would make that mistake. <laughs> yeah. 
day three and former professional footballer Ray Parler, who hasn't ordered a starter, tells the waiter to give him John Norman's soup and John is left sitting there with nothing in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. He just started eating it. John's going, where's my soup? Well, and then <laughs> I think Ray realised he might give it back and then he said, do you want some pepper on it, John? Yeah. He said, no, I can't. I'm a bit allergic to pepper. So Ray covered it in pepper. <laughs> a, bit like, a bit like spitting in your crisps at school so nobody asks you for one. Not that I ever did that, of course. Much. Exactly. Uh, day four. No, no, day four. Day four is day 12. <laughs> I've gone We've back. gone back. <laughs> Why Andy Jacobs has gone back in time by eight days. What's happened? Day 12. Yeah. An Italian food expert, Tom Hughes, is not impressed with the mozzarella in his salad caprese and said it's not buffalo, it's industrial. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, this actually leads to this one really as well. Day 12, and creature of habit, Andy Jacobs, has persuaded the crowd to go to his favourite Italian round the corner after he's been there four times in three That's days. That's right, it's the staff canteen. <laughs> That's it. We're not going back there again. Never, ever again. Okay. So is that it? Last one? I'll give you one more. Go on, Here we go. Day 12, and weekend sports producer Les Morris has spotted... <laughs> excuse me. Has spotted... Oh, God. Oh, he's both <laughs> crying there. <laughs> I have. I'm so emotional. Yeah. You'll see why in a minute. Has spotted Sky Sports reporter Brian Swanson on the Copacabana, and he's wearing shorts and a polo shirt. Oh, that's oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> the thing is, you could have easily said day 7, which it actually is, but you just keep saying day 12. Day, I went back to day 4 at one point. What was that about? <laughs> day 4. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's blimey. some funny stuff in that, though. God, <laughs> the wasp down Moose's cleavage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good fun. Good memories. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. It's got to be Those two managers, maybe jointly the youngest two we've seen lead teams out on cup final day. Bobby Gould is 41. Penny Dalglish, 37. Looking for their families. Sanchez, Cork, Young and Fashion are in there. Sanchez was in there. And that's a goal for Wimbledon. Laurie Sanchez. There is Aldridge. Beardsley. Well, he might score here. Hamilton. Goodyear on Aldridge. Wimbledon protest at the decision. Goodyear thinks he played the ball. And here we have high drama because Aldridge, who I think might have been replaced a moment later, is the penalty taker. Messi thinks that, or thought the kick might go to his left or the right as we look if Aldridge decides to go the same way as in the semi-final. He did! And he saved it! And made history! The first time ever that a penalty kick has not been converted in the FA Cup final here. Crazy gang have beaten the culture club. Wimbledon have destroyed Liverpool's dreams of the double. And all over the pitch, their players are celebrating something which a few years ago would have been impossible. So there we are, the 88 Cup final. Brilliant work by uh, Motti there, uh, reliving some of those uh, key moments from the game. And we're very pleased to say... He joins us now. Good afternoon, Motti. Well, I almost lost you. I didn't really hear that bit of commentary, so probably I was spared that. But uh, I do remember the game, and I think probably of all the cup finals I did, it was the most enthralling because it, the result was so unexpected. Although 
don't forget, Wimbledon were in the top half of the Premier League that season, or the the old, the, you know, the old first division, I should say. Um, so they weren't quite the underdogs that lots of people thought. But nevertheless, um, Liverpool were all conquering at the time, and uh, it, it was one of the great cup final memories I've got, really. Yeah, you, I was listening about John. What some extended highlights earlier on today, John? And uh, I don't want to blow smoke up your backside but you had a brilliant game that day and we heard that little moment there uh, where you'd had a chat with Dave Besant during the week and you called it I mean what a feeling that must have been for you to to have had that chat done the research and then sure enough exactly what you said would happen happened in the game well I owe that to Dave Besant really um, Paul I mean I, I phoned him up in the week he used to live quite near me actually um, and uh, <laughs> it, it was the fact that Aldridge was doing this little um, delay in the run-up to the penalty which uh, made me ask Dave, you know, because he'd done it so often. I thought, well, goalkeepers were starting to get used to it, maybe. I, that's what I wanted to know. And But I always remember Dave being so positive. He said, if he, gets a, if he takes a penalty, he said, I know one thing, I'm going to dive to my left. And, of course, it came off. I think it was the first time a goalkeeper had saved a penalty in a Wembley final, a FA Cup final, that is. Um, and also, I think Dave Besant was the first goalkeeper captain to go up and get the FA Cup, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I think uh, so, yeah. Well, you'd know Motty more than us. <laughs> but uh, I was watching the documentary. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, Motty. I was watching the documentary last week uh, on Wimbledon, how they won the cup. And what fascinated me was uh, Sanchez, who got the goal there, and John Fashion, who was such a big figure in the team. They hadn't spoken basically for six years. And Fash admitted that he was almost upset. He was obviously pleased that Sanchez had scored, but he'd rather it had been anybody else but him. It was quite interesting, their relationship. I never realised at the time. Well, uh, I went to a game at, at Plough Lane just a few weeks before the final uh, to do some homework. And uh, it's quite low there. At the, it was quite low down where you watch the game from in, at Wimbledon's old ground. And, and, they, and they had a move just like it. I think it was Wise took a corner. I know in the final it was a free kick. but um, And Sanchez headed it in at the near post. And I, I was struggling at this particular game to work out who'd scored. And I thought, well... I must remember this, that Laurie Sanchez takes up these positions. And, of course, it paid off because on the day of the final, he was the man who uh, managed to head it between, I think, two Liverpool defenders had headbands on, didn't they? Yeah, Gillespie and I think, actually, Steve McMahon had one on as well, didn't he? Or I think he had, uh, there was a sort of striped one, one of the Gary Gillespie had one on and somebody else did that day as well. Yeah, there were two two players that had had, had uh, head injuries, but Grobelar couldn't get to the header anyway. So, and then of course the the, the build up to that penalty, by the way. I mean, you've told the story very well, but um, Aldridge got brought down by a fellow called Clive Goodyear, who was Wimbledon's mm. right back. And I didn't think it was a penalty when I look back on it, but the referee Brian Hill gave it, and of course Wimbledon then were one up already, and. Uh, it, it, it proved to be the moment, really, that this decided the game and it, and it ruined Liverpool's chances of doing a double. Yeah, I don't think it would. I think you're right, John. It wouldn't have been a penalty now. I was watching it back earlier on and didn't think uh, didn't think it was a pen. Either, I suppose ultimately it didn't matter because he saved it. Then you forget that Liverpool had a really great chance earlier on. John Barnes, I think, had hit the post. Great work from our old mate Ray Houghton and Peter Beardsley got Barnes in. And I think Besson just pushed it onto the post. That was probably Liverpool's best chance of the game. And a header at the end by Stevie Nicholl that just went over. But they didn't create a lot. And a lot of that was down to the job that, that Bobby, who we'll chat to in a minute, and Don Howe did tactically on Liverpool that day. 
Yeah, and the, it was the only final, uh, Paul, and when I got into the dressing room after the game, because usually the security was pretty strict in the Wembley Tunnel, and I remember going into the Wimbledon dressing room and Vinnie Jones and John Fashionu were lying on towels because it was such a hot day, and Bobby Gould was giving a kind of post-match team talk. I don't know whether he remembers this, but he was telling the Wimbledon players just to keep their heads when they went back out the dressing room. He said, don't be disrespectful towards Liverpool. Remember that, you know, it's, it's a great day for you, but don't overdo the celebrations and don't, don't you know, mouth off about this, that. He was re- it was really quite Im- impressive, actually, the fact that he was just telling them to keep their feet on the ground. Yeah. It's, uh, we've had some good stories from the listeners as well. Sorry, Andy, carry on. No, no, I was just going to say, what really came across in that documentary was really the difference between the two teams about how Liverpool were cultured and, as you said, John, the culture club. And and Wimbledon had this spirit, this thing about them that was incredible, really. I mean, you, the, the fact that Sam Herman was such a character, the, the, the thing that came out, if they lost by four in any game, they had to go to the opera. <laughs> and like and, and uh, I think I think uh, who's it was it Bobby who wanted to sign Terry Gibson or was it Dave Bass? I can't remember. But he, he, Sam and Man made him eat sheep's eyes. They had to basically sheep's eat them testicles. Otherwise. Andy, you sheep's keep getting testicles. these two mixed up. Oh, yeah, as I said, which causes you a lot of problems in the opticians, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think also Dennis Wise was a key figure in that setup. You know, because the night before the final, Don Howe, who was Bobby's coach. Um, had them out, well, I say out training. I think they went for a beer after that being Wimbledon. But he had them out training quite late in the afternoon and he decided at the, the 11th hour, if you like, to swap round the two wide players. So he moved Dennis Wise from one side to the other and Alan Court moved across from whatever it was, left to right, so to speak. So there was a bit of tactical thinking went on that day and I, in many ways, you know, I think they matched Liverpool in that area as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that payoff line, we've talked about this before, John, but uh, mm. uh, the, the one you had before, the crazy game beat the culture club, not rehearsed, was it? No, it wasn't rehearsed. That one did come right out of the blue in my mind. Um, I had rehearsed one a couple of, a few years earlier on my first cup final when I did this line about Buckingham, the 39 steps. I, I had researched that a little mm. bit. But, uh, but no, the crazy game, I mean, it's a phrase, funnily enough, that a lot of people have reminded me of as the years go by. But it was the first thing that came into my head, to be honest. Wow. Is it one of your favourites, John, when you look back on, on cup finals? Is it, is it one you, you look back on fondly? Well, I look back on the game fondly, Paul, because Wimbledon was such a nice club to work with then. I mean, they, as you know, they'd come right through the leagues. There was no sort of pretense or side to them, and you could go in the dressing room and meet them before the game and that type of thing. And I, I was just pleased for, for them to, to have that moment in the, in the sun, so to speak. Um, and, of course, the Wimbledon story itself was, was a fantastic one when you look back now on what they achieved and very sad in a way, the way it ended. But uh, nevertheless, I, I, I came away from that final thinking, well, uh, I probably won't do another one um, with quite the excitement and quite the unexpected conclusion that, that they had that day. And uh, tell you, it was interesting watching the save again, Dave Besson. If it had been today, VAR, it would have been retaken. He was about two yards off his line. But he did it brilliantly, <laughs> oh. but fair enough. Yeah, well, don't, don't spoil it, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Motti, before we let you go, um, we've got the virtual Grand National tomorrow. I know you, you, yes. you love a bit of a day out at Aintree, but you've got a memory, a little sporting memory of 
of Grand National Day with the great George Best, haven't you? I have, and uh, I, I watched the um, uh, recording this week. They showed it again of the George Best documentary on BBC Four, mm. and it brought it back to me because it was Grand National Day that I last met George uh, in 2005. In fact, I, it was a few months before he died, although when I met him, it was in the boardroom at Portsmouth, and we'd been invited to lunch by the chairman there, Milan Mandarich, who was a friend of George's. And I have to say, for a man who wasn't destined to live very much longer, he was in very good form. And a steward came in and said, anybody want to put a bet on the Grand National? And a few people brought out a fiver or a tenner. George brought bought £1,000 in cash out of his wallet. <laughs> and he said to the guy, yeah, he, he said to me first, who have you backed? And I said, well, I've had a little bet on a horse called Hedgehunter. I'm only a £10 each way man, so to speak, uh, which I'll have to be tomorrow anyway, because that's the limit yeah. on the virtual one. And George said, oh, he said, no, no, he said to the bloke, he said, no, on the nose, he said, £1,000 to win. <laughs> and of course, later in the afternoon, because the Grand National was at a different time then, the game was going on, and the chairman's wife ran into the director's box and said, oh, result of the Grand National, headhunter first. And so <laughs> wow. George... And, and, and so the, the, the afternoon ended, and George had been great company over lunch, by the way, and he mm. forget those pictures just for a minute of the end of his life. He was in great form that day, and he looked, he looked still like the, the George Best we all loved. And so he walked away, or he was going to walk away, hopefully, with £14,000. But the, the firm who were doing the betting at Portsmouth had to say to him, look, we haven't actually got £14,000 in the till, Mr. Best. <laughs> but they, but they, obviously they made it right with him with a, 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 a cheque or something like that. But I never saw him again. But it's wow. a great memory because, sadly, I think you'll find he, this was 2005. I think he, he may have died a few months later. Wow. John, look, lovely to talk to you. We will catch up with you soon. All the best. Thanks, Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, thank you. Well, there we are. John Motson there, thanks to him. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. We can now speak to the manager on the day of uh, Wimbledon, our old mate Bobby Gore. Good afternoon, Bob. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, I tell you Good what, thanks, I, wa- I watched extended highlights back and uh, watched some of the after. I watched all the aftermatch stuff you did with Tony Gubber earlier. We're going to play a bit in a second. It was absolute gold. I mean... Uh, just really, what's your overriding memory of the day? Is there, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you when you uh, go back to that day, Bob? Um, it started well before then, mm. on the Friday night, when you've got a bunch of 17, 18, 19 players and you're in a five-star hotel and rolls are being thrown around the um, <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> and I looked at Don Howe and he looked at me and he says, what are you going to do? So I got all the best, and I said, there's a £100, get down to the nearest pub, and anybody seen with a half, anything other than a half a half a pint will be in trouble, a week's <laughs> wage is fine, and they disappeared, I'm glad to say. Uh, some of the boys, though, didn't some of the boys venture back? One or two of them had already been down the pub, hadn't they? And, uh, and they were sneaking back in, but they'd spent their own money. Yeah, yeah, that was three, but three, but I'm not naming them. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Oh dear, brilliant. The the circumstances that you took the job, Bob, were were interesting, weren't they? Dave Bassett had left for Watford, and uh, you know it was quite a difficult club to come into in a, a certain sense, wasn't it? And in this documentary, they they sort of hail your signing, inspired signing of Don Howe. He was a key uh, assistant for you, wasn't he? Well. Uh, I have a, a good friend, and I, when I said to this friend, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Don Howe, he says, well, 
what about Miss World? I said, what about Miss World? He says, well, it'd be like asking Miss World to come and, <laughs> and, and work at um, Wimbledon. But yeah. uh, Don was in Don was in a situation where he'd left uh, the football association and the England set up, and uh, he says, "Goldie, he says I'll come for four weeks. But the rest is history." Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what. We're going to play that little moment. Tony Gubber after the game, all the boys were celebrating, and you and you and Don uh, came over and had a chat with Tony. And this is what we're going to start with: what Tony Gubber had to say uh, about the quality of the match. And this is Bob's response. Have a listen to this. In fairness, though, it was a grafting final, wasn't it? It wasn't a classic. Did you expect us to, Tony, do you expect us to come here just to please you, the media? Because we don't come here to please you. We come here to win. And we've grafted and we've won. We've worked since, since we went to, home to West Bromwich Albion at Mansfield, at Newcastle, against Watford, at Luton. We work, Tony, and that's the name of the game. And this is the sheer perspiration, just like you're sweating, Tony. Because <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> it it's is. Hard work, it's hard work for everybody. Enjoy it, and we're going to enjoy every moment. And to all the viewers back home, thanks for watching us. And to the media, we did it. <laughs> Bob, had it got to you, the fact that everybody had written you off? Did you, did you and Don really fancy your chance? Had it got to the players? Did they feel they had something to prove after what had been said? Because no one no, gave you a prayer. They were, sm- they were a smashing group to work with. The, the lads were really, and and Donna was he he was the he was the right signer I made at the right time. And they all went and asked him and about football and what he thought and everything else. And you know, he was just magnificent with them. And I was only a young manager to be perfectly honest. And, and I, I used I used Don was a great experience. And I heard you. Uh, communications there with J- Motto, you know, about changing wingers. Well, Don Howe went to reception um, on the uh, Friday morning before we mm. trained in Friday afternoon, and he came in. And he says, "Goldie, he says we've got to change. We- we've got to change uh, Whitey and uh, Corky." I says, "Well, why is that? You know, they've been happy. Corky right and Whitey left." He says, "Well, it's like this, Bobby." He said, "John Barnes has been brilliant. Barnes has been brilliant all season, but we've got a nullify him. We've got a nullify that Liverpool can't get the ball to him." So we changed Dennis Wife because Dennis is an energetic, you know, he'd chase anything for Wimbledon and he, he was a brilliant little player. And we put Cork at the other side and every time that they, that Liverpool players looked up, he was nullified by two, two yellow and blue shirts and they couldn't mm. get the ball to him. And that yeah. is one of the biggest, um, uh, you know, sessions of... Don Howe and his football brain working and putting it into action, and I, I, I'm sure that's what it's again. To be perfectly honest, yeah. And what was that? What was that evening like? We heard from one Wimbledon fan said it was so quiet on the tube, Bob, because they couldn't believe they'd won. Even so, the driver had to jam all up because they were all in shock. So, what what sort of night was it? Knowing those players as you did, was it a big night? Well, it was a great night. We we couldn't take them to a hotel, could we? Not not that <laughs> chance. Let's let's be honest. They couldn't go to a hotel, win, lose, or draw. So, in my own knowledge, I said, right, we'll have a we'll have a marquee on the pitch at Plough Lane. So I said to Sam, my man, we're having a marquee, and every player, because I felt it was, the, you know, that what win, lose, or draw, as I just said, that they had to share that evening, and they were going to share it with the people that they knew. And they all, they all had the opportunity to invite who they wanted from their family, from their friends and everything. And that night, well, you know, it just got, went on and on and on. And it was a fantastic night and everything worked out lovely. I, I had my family, my wife, my two sons, my, my brother, my in-laws, and my, you know, and, and it was fantastic to, to just have those people on your table. 
You mentioned there that they were a great bunch of lads, and I think that comes across. But they were also, Bobby, from your point of view, very varied and different. And there were factions, and there were, you know, they, they weren't an easy bunch to manage by the sound of it. But good players who all went on to have good careers, Bob, didn't they? Other clubs have really, really solid careers, many of them, most of them. Yeah, well, if you, if you, yeah, but they were, they, they wanted to play football. They wanted to play the way that they wanted. And we went, Don and I went to Sweden. We went out to Sweden. And we stood in front of this flip chart with, with 18, 20 players there. And we, they said, uh, we went to say, oh, and they said, excuse me, Sanchez and Dave Besson and Alan Cork. They said, no, we've got where we've got, doing what we've got. And you, you two can sit down and we'll tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> and Don looked at me and I looked at him and it was unbelievable. And they said, this is it. We have to get the ball uh, uh, into the opposition half as many times as we can. Uh, let, let's say let's say 77 times. And then we had to do, get so many crosses into the box. And it was just unbelievable. And that's what Dave Bassett had left, left me. And if it wasn't broken, why fix it? You know, you, yeah. you see many times now people go into a football mm. club and they, they don't get the best out of it. Well, Don and I said, well, we're getting the best out of it. And that's what it did. We adhered to what they wanted uh, and they, didn't, uh, they responded and we didn't lose them. Well, that's good management because a lot of people, their egos would have said, no, this, uh, this is the way we yeah. do things. But you knew that was the best way to get a tune out of them, which, which is uh, yeah, but, why, yeah, why but, you won. Yeah, but what people don't realise... In 1981, Jeff Burst was manager of Chelsea. I was his number two. We both got sacked. By the way, he went into the board and said, back me, back me or sack me. And he came out. I said, what did they say? Uh, he says, they've sacked us all right, Goldie. So I came away. And I, I phoned up Dave Bassett. I said, can I come and train with you? Because I lived at, I, I lived at Camberley. My two sons went to school out that, in that area. And, and uh, I said... Uh, can I come and join you? He said, yeah, of course you can. So I had six weeks as a player in pre-season. Right. And a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, mm. I played, I played, a, a, and that's why Samerman selected me, because he liked the way I played at certain times. But Dave Bassett invited me back, uh, invited me there, and I went and enjoyed a wonderful, wonderful um, pre-season with them. Wow. Bob, look, it's lovely that you shared your memories. Uh, yeah, lovely to speak to you. Please, yeah, great to speak to you. I haven't seen you for a while. So look after yourself, stay safe, and we will catch up with you soon. All the best, Bob. All the very best to everybody at TalkSport. Yeah, it was wonderful to me, and I enjoyed every moment. Fantastic. Cheers, Bobby. Brilliant. Thank you. God bless. There we are, the great Bobby Gould there, the manager of Wimbledon that day in 88. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Martin Kellner, squad number nine with a week of sport on TV. Martin, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you boys. Can you hear me okay? We can, yeah. Loud and clear. You're sounding beautiful. So, um, what have you been watching this week? I've got a feeling I've been watching something you've been watching, but take it away. Well, you've been watching The Tiger King, haven't you? Everybody's been watching The Tiger King. You've been watching that? Well, you know what? I did say I watched one, and look, I might go back in. My youngest son, who's watched it all, said it gets better, it warms up. The first one I thought was good, but I didn't quite see what all the fuss was about. It did feel a bit Netflix by numbers at times, and um, I know it's had quite a big effect. I mean, a lot of people that, that – a lot of footballers I read today, and a lot of people – even Mike Tyson has said he now regrets – that he kept Tigers. A lot of footballers who've uh, been involved in this have said that they're regretting having pictures taken with, with exotic animals. So it's it's got a bit of soul-searching going on, if nothing else. Well, forget the Tigers. Uh, Joe Exotic <laughs> is the star of it. Joe Exotic. It's not his real name, Joe Exotic. He's got some ridiculous... He keeps changing it to his gay guy, and whichever guy he's actually married to at the time, you should get change it to their name. But um, he's the character. It's his country and Western songs that really make the show. I would suggest to anybody, watch episodes two, three and four. Forget the rest. I think like everything on Netflix, it's drawn out way... You know, it's basically... A a two-hour documentary stretched to about five hours, you know? Mm. And uh, I think the thing to do is just watch those where Joe Exotic takes centre stage. Um, I mean, he's as mad as a, yeah, he's mad as a chair. And he t- <laughs> when he takes centre stage, it's really, really good. If you uh, if you like mullets, uh, a, this program features a lot of mullets uh, and rather, rather fewer teeth. Because uh, a lot of people oh, have got what they call, what they explain very helpfully, is called meth teeth. Um, you don't want to go into the reality of <laughs> That's that. Bleak. But, uh, it's bleak. It's it is fairly bleak actually, <laughs> but it is hilarious. But. Th- you know, at the end of the day, uh, they put all this stuff up at the end. I, I stayed through it right through till episode seven, which I'm sorry I did now. Um, but I did. I watched, watched it through to the end. And there's not a lot of sport in it either, to be honest. Uh, so shall we move swiftly on to uh, Sunderland Till I Die? Which yes, is back. I, I've mm. watched uh, the first three of those. I watched them last night and I, I think it's excellent. It's really engrossing telly. I really enjoyed it. It does. I mean, I think one of the problems with Sunderland Till I Die is we sort of know the story already, if you like, you know, because the first series really sort of detailed the disaster of um, Sunderland's descent from the Premier League into uh, League One. So 
there's not a whole lot more to say, but you get when I you look at the current league positions, uh, and Sunderland are now just uh, I think three points off automatic promotion. They're mm. just on the fringe of the playoff places, and you think, given the scale of the financial disaster that's now obviously when they were making this program, they had no idea that uh, we were going to get you know the coronavirus uh, pandemic was going to start. But when you look at it now, uh, of all the team, I mean, even probably. It's on a par with Liverpool, really, because if the season ended now, they would be outside the promotion places. Mm. Uh, and the programme, as the first one did, just details how vital to Sunderland's uh, promotion is. But again, it, it's all about the characters. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Methven. Who, yeah. Do you know Charlie? Yes, yeah. I, well, yeah, I don't know him personally, but I now I've seen a lot him of in action. Yeah, he's, uh, I love it. His catchphrase is. is he? For, I've a not man, seen all that. for a man that seems to complain about everybody and what they, his catchphrase, my wife noted, is sorry I'm late, everyone. He walks into every meeting late. Obviously, tardiness is not the top of his <laughs> list. It's just every, that's very much. He should be on a t shirt. Uh, he, is, he is a bit Brentian at times, isn't he? But um, I think him. You know, it's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, you do need a Brent character in these things, and he uh, he fulfills that role. Anyway, now is the time really for free sports four two two because we all want to be a free sport. <laughs> and yes, now this is the, this is the one that you must watch. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what the uh, the trailer for it says. What better way to pass some time? And we all need a good way to pass some time. That's what better true. way to pass some time? Then watch some insane wood chopping as the best woodsmen in the world show off their amazing skills. Oh, that's uh, good. Now, this is the... Yes, it, it's, it's the Steel Timber Sports. Steel spell S-T-I-H-L. They're the sponsors. They're a company who make chainsaws. So I don't know how bad things have got for you with this isolation. But if you want to buy a chainsaw, uh, Steel are making them. Uh, and they go to Prague for the World Championship of the Steel Timber Sports um, final. Um, and they, you meet all the, they're big guys. They're sort of guys very much like, um, like the guys in the, you know, those strongest man contests. Yeah. Strongest man. Yeah. More or less says, uh, the first, um, now the first one's quite good. They do the underhand chop. That's what they start with the underhand chop. And what happens there is they hold this ax, which is specially sharpened. It's not the sort they do stress. I'm not so much, don't try this at home, but it, you can't get an axe that sharp. They, it's a huge axe. It's a huge axe, and they say it's so sharp you could shave with it. I mean, anybody has the urge to idea. shave with an axe? That's not a great idea. <laughs> I don't think you should shave in any circumstance with an axe. Anyway, and they actually they have a big log, and they stand on the log, and they chop it from underneath them. So while they're standing on the log, they're chopping away with this very, very sharp uh, axe. Uh, and it's it's good, it's good, and it goes from that into the uh, the single book springboard, and then the final round. I didn't stay till the final round because there's oh, only no. much, only as much wood chopping as you can take. Sure. But the final round is called something hot saw. It's just called hot saw. Yeah. Uh, the final one, and uh, having seen the uh, seen the other rounds, I wonder what was going. You know, if they decided there wasn't enough. Chopping this log with an extremely sharp axe from under the log that they're standing on. If they thought that wasn't enough jeopardy, I don't know. Maybe they heat the saw up. I, I don't know. But that's the uh, they, that's the uh, 
that's the final bit. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, the sharpness so, of the blade there, Martin. You mentioned the sharpness mm-hmm. of the blade, and uh, that is the only thing that's sharp on free sport. Mm-hmm. I've noticed whenever I've watched it, it's so fuzzy, the picture. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about, but we're sort of so used to HD, but it, it's yeah. quite unwatchable at times. Now, Martin, I've unbelievable. Got, uh, yes. Sorry, I've got something for you now. I know you're going to like this. We're ah. doing a little feature called On This Day in Sporting History Yesterday, uh, which we, we reflect because it's too obvious to do on this day in history. So we look at something yeah. that happened yesterday, Martin, just as a point of difference. And um, it was the birthday uh, of yes. this man. Uh, have a listen to this clip. Right, David, we're Manchester United. Who are you? Uh, we'll be Spurs, sir, then there's no clash of colours. Right, and it's Manchester United versus Spurs in this important fifth-round cup tie here at Old Trafford. And it's the fair, slightly balding Charlton to kick off. <laughs> is there a better line in film? Yes. It's the fair-haired, slightly balding Charlton to kick off. It's Brian Glover, of Who course, is that? Martin. Brian, Brian Glover. Uh, yes, Glover. Brian Glover from the uh, movie Kez. From Kez, yeah, yeah that's no, I love, right. Uh, I love that clip. Uh, that guy, who's, do you remember those Football Exotica albums? Mm, yeah. Because uh, that's feature, it features on one of them. I've forgotten the name. of Jim Phelan was the guy who put them together. Yeah. You see, I went to his house once, lives in uh, South London somewhere. But, um, yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. And that, I've Brian, watching, that was, do you know that was his first acting role, Brian? He'd been a, he was a wrestler, Leon Arras. Uh, Arras, uh, yeah. Leon Arras, the man from Paris. It doesn't quite work. But apparently, um, <laughs> oh, really? he, he was supposed to fight on the bill. I saw Brian on a chat show once and he was supposed to fight on and Leon Harris was supposed to fight but he didn't make the, the plane and all and he couldn't fight so he said well that, your name's not very good why don't you become Leon Harris because no one's going to know so he went out and people loved him and if people want to go and check out a fight he had with Les Kellett which is on YouTube I've it's it, just yeah. comic oh, yeah. genius tremendous but, um, mm. so he yeah. fought as Leon Harris and he said years later um, he, was, he was somewhere in Barnsley or whatever suddenly all the light went out of the room and there was this huge giant haystacks like figure standing there and he said Leon Arras and uh, Brian said yes he said je suis Leon Arras he'd come back to reclaim his name (laughs) so he but you know that was his first acting role as as Mr. Sutton the teacher in Kez he was brilliant wasn't he uh, well, I think that was the genius of Ken Loach. I mean, loads yeah, yeah. of uh, there were loads of amateurs in that, and uh, <laughs> Dougie Brown's sister was in it. I think she was yeah. in Coronation Street at the time. It's a fantastic film. I watched This Sporting Life, interestingly, which you know is another classic uh, sport oh, film, classic. which has been mm. on. Uh, yeah, it's been on Talking Pictures. So if anybody wants to yeah. look at that, great scenes of uh, Wakefield Trinity's ground, which hasn't changed. <laughs> I'm going to go it's back and uh, watch, I'm going to go back and watch the whole of Kez, I think, after that. Watching those clips last night were fantastic. Martin, uh, you're on overnight on talk radio, yes? Yes, providing this wire that I've got here holds up. Yeah, I should be on uh, overnight on, uh, on talk radio. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. One oh, it's all a, it's all a winged affair. <laughs> we have quite a long yeah. delay. It feels like we're on this close circuit. Harry Carpenter to Muhammad Ali in about 1965. The longest delay I think we've ever had on a good line. But we got there, Martin. I know. It's... We got there just about. Can I just uh, finish by saying what yeah. they say in the World Woodchopping Championship? <laughs> they say, when, when the guy's ready, they say, stand to your timber. <laughs> well, I'm well gonna, fair enough. I'm going to be saying that later on, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, brilliant. Definitely. All the best, Martin. We'll catch you next week. Thanks very Cheers. much. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. We want a Marty Carterhead of the weekend's tally. Lord knows you're going to have plenty of time on your hands. Uh, so, uh, back again, it's our old mate Mike Ward, a Brighton and Hove Albion fan and star TV preview. Good afternoon. Hi, Paul. Mike. Hi, Andy. 
So, uh, what did you... I mean, should we, get, we reflect on last night? What did you get stuck into last night? Were any of your own recommendations, Mike, or uh, not? What was it? Oh, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, Gordon... Uh, no. No, oh, you did. <laughs> you didn't bother <laughs> oh, once no, the shows it. you did, actually recommended. <laughs> no, Don't blame you. As I say, the, the, the word... Rec- I dispute the word recommend. Just, uh, <laughs> I like to be... Yeah, got talking. a pasting. <laughs> yes, it wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, um, you know... But anyway, there's only three more episodes of that each an hour long... Talking of TV chefs, so you have kept us in touch with Jamie's yes. cooking and carry on, and it's it's slightly changed, isn't it? In the it's, in the week or so, it's been on. Quite strange, yes, because it was like the first week we were sort of poking fun at it in, in the sort of in, in the gently irreverent way that we do, um, and thinking, <laughs> wow, he seems to have just an yeah, ample supply of whatever. And Jamie's idea of scraping the barrel in terms of what you can cook with isn't the same as everybody else's. Hmm. I think he may have taken that criticism on board because if you watch. <laughs> this week it's completely different now there's no the, the previous week show looked like an ordinary episode of jamie one of jamie's cooking shows this week it's all done on his phone and it seems to be um his wife jules i'm guessing holding the phone and a couple of the kids helping out as sort of you know as the home economists or whatever yeah. um, and it's all done in the cellar you know, he looks like he's been held captive. He looks like he hasn't. He hasn't. Um, you know, there was one a couple of days ago where he looked like he, it was. It was worse than somebody just got out of bed. It looks like he got out of bed and fallen off a cliff or something or other. And then he thought, "That's a good look." The, the viewers will identify with that. Yeah. And it's very echoey. It's you know, I realise we're all going through technical issues for all sorts of reasons, having to cope with this. But it's, somebody said, Jamie, it's really hard to listen because you're just echoing the whole time, and you watch it and you think, okay, you've taken this on board. And now he's sort of saying a couple of days ago, this is all the broccoli I've got left, and it looked like something the dog had eaten. You know, he says, Jamie, <laughs> you've done a whole lot of series where you've got a back garden full of a, you know a, a giant allotment, the yeah. entire series that you wore. Where's that gone? I mean, maybe Mike. It could be that he's he's sort of said, I've, I've you know, in a, maybe a slightly contrived way. I've got to be like them. Yeah. You know, I've got to be running out of stuff. I've got to film it on my phone. It's got to look earthier. You know, exactly. I can't have three yeah. ton of polenta in the background. If you get a chance, if you haven't seen any of it, just watch one of this week's episodes and watch one of last week's and, and compare and contrast. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a bit sort of like he's being held captive. Bless him. Okay. But he yeah. means well. He knows, he knows, I should, he knows I respect uh, him. Sure. I should say, Mike, that we're getting a lot of nice comments about your work uh, here with us uh, every day, recommending stuff. And uh, my wife absolutely loves this section, but she's <laughs> shoving bits of paper in front of me. So today she said, I've got to mention London. I don't even know what these programmes no, are. Fine. London Kills. Oh, yes, London Kills yeah. and Enterprise, she says, are very What's good. Enterprise? So, What's Enterprise? I've no idea. So yeah, maybe she wants to hire a car. Is that, <laughs> Enterprise, well, is that with a C? Yeah, Enterprise. Yes. I don't it that sounds is. like a game show of some sort. <laughs> it which does, case yeah, I'll probably, yeah. It sounds terrible, in which case I'll probably love it. No, I don't think it is. I think it's a drama, probably. Oh, is it? Okay, I'm sorry. I okay. really ought to get a telly. If I get yeah. a telly, I'm going <laughs> to... Well, maybe yeah, you can save up for one. Life on Mars could be back, we read yes. today. Yes, I was yes. reading the papers today. There's, um, there's talk, um, a, a sort of, it seems to be sort of Twitter talk largely from the creators of Life on Mars, who of course went on to do Ashes to Ashes, um, that they're sort of thinking of uh, you know reviving the whole thing in some slightly different 
form uh, with possibly with the G- um, GCSE hunt, DCI gene hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> it's Friday. GCSE hunt. GCSE hunt. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. part yeah. of the BBC's education initiative. Um, yeah. And uh, and um, yeah, and Sam Tyler. Yeah, those two characters. I don't know quite. It, it, it probably wouldn't be quite the same. But obviously, for those who didn't see it, it was basically a guy who got took a blow to the head and ma- magically, mysteriously woke up in 1973. And we've all done that, like like standing in an omelette. Cool. Yeah. The BBC, uh, you're right, have said today, Tony Hall, the Director General, has said they're going to start offering more educational programming. Yeah. When we were kids, certainly when I was a kid, probably mm. Andy as well, there were kind of programmes for schools. There were things that were made that would be shown in the mornings that, that were purely yeah. educational. They were just made for that reason. Yeah, and this wasn't open university. This was more sort of... School st- school stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, of course, you came home and watched Vision On, which is always sort of education the same way. You know, that was always great. a I used to uh, I used to watch this science programme with Gert Summerhoff. I thought I'd just mention that name. <laughs> Where? Gert? I've never <laughs> heard of Gert Summerhoff. Where were you living? Well, somebody would have done. Gert <laughs> Summerhoff? Finchley, actually. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's Gert, Let's look Gert him up. may have been in Sweden. <laughs> Let's look up Gert Summerhoff. What, what did he look like? Uh, there he is, Gert Summerhoff. Um, oh, a pioneer of theoretical neuroscience. What about that, go. Gerd Summer? That's what? where you all picked up all that knowledge of theoretical yeah. neuroscience. Everything yeah. I know about neuroscience, I, I got from Gerd. Interesting <laughs> looking fella. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Andy. I'll, 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 I'll dig deeper. Um, yeah. This evening, have I got news for you, Returns? I'll yes. Kevin Day, I think, one of the writing team. Uh, but no, obviously no audience. So no it's audience. It's interesting yeah, to see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, mm. I don't know anything about uh, how, how it's going to look or, or feel. I'm assuming they did it last night. I don't know. Did they, yeah, I guess. They normally do it on a Thursday night occasion mm. unless they've just had an election um so yeah i mean everything about it because obviously you know they're gonna have to sit further apart for a start and, yeah and, and as you say no well. one but also the tone of it as well you have, you've got to pitch it just right haven't you because obviously you can't be ridiculously irreverent but at the same time it's it's a satire show so yeah, Didn't yeah. ian hislop said that he wanted to keep the game because he wanted to keep the government honest and you know feels yeah. that he has this role and but steph mcgovern who's hosting it surely she's at home she's been doing a new chat show at home <laughs> yes. i can't imagine she, she can leave her one day for once a day to go to the studios to do have i got news for you <laughs> that's think, her exercise yeah, that's her, that's her, have you yeah. seen some, I mean, exercise <laughs> let's talk about how people define exercise by the way no let's we haven't got time i'm going to I'll tell you what i am going to do though i am i told you i was neurotic i'm going to get one of those sprays that referees are in their back pocket yeah you know and do it and every time somebody comes even 10 meters from me i'm just going to you know Pace it out. That's a spray yeah, that line. That's a very good idea because it's driving me nuts. You when know. you do exercise, Mike, I've noticed you get two different reactions. And, uh, and our colleague um, Faye Grothers was making this point. She was spot on. You either get uh, somebody sort of beaming, smiling at you, being very friendly and nodding yeah. like we're all in this together. Yeah. Or you get people who think that if they look at you, they're going to turn into a pillar of salt. They can't even make <laughs> eye contact in case yeah. they get. So I, I think I'm one of those people. Oh, right. Faye's right. I think we need more of the smiley, noddy people. Yeah, we makes, do. You need a bit of a kind of... This is a common cause, so... But it's a very odd reaction. You don't get really much in between. No. I'm very happy about it. I love avoiding people. Yes. <laughs> this, is this is it. This is exactly right. I, I tend to, if I'm out in, uh, in the, out in the woods, as my wife will, will testify, I will, if I see somebody coming, I will clamber up this sort of slope, even if I'm going to break my leg in the process, to, sort of, <laughs> to get out of the way. Uh, and then I go, morning. 
yeah. so you sort of get the balance right you know that sort of neurotic thing paranoia and the friendliness it just it's just pitching it right isn't it <laughs> there is a story today mike that um the the, the uh, at the apprentice may have to be postponed for the year oh, because no. obviously they can't go out and film them but <laughs> yes if you need your fix of lord sugar which oh. i've got to be honest i don't um you can watch him on piers morgan's life stories uh, yes they're repeating the one where he uh, he, he, he and piers uh, he, um talk about well, well yeah obviously his entire um career and and of course his time as spurs chairman so um that's it, which was a, a challenging one i'm sure you remember it well yes i'm grateful sorry paul i'm grateful to uh, you might for reminding us tomorrow saturday april the 4th uh, world cup rewind with yes. guy mowbray that does sound quite fun actually it does yeah bbc one half past two in the afternoon why not you know, half past, Why not? You know, half past two is the new 10.30. Um, Scotland versus Holland from 1978, of course, that brilliant game. I'm not going to give away. Bizarrely, brilliant. every time I talk about football now, oh. I sort of don't want to say the score because there may be somebody who's going to watch it, you know, who doesn't know that Scotland won 3-2 with that brilliant mm. goal. Oh, game. Mike. Oh, Mike. You've ruined it now. What's oh, the point? You've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, so some of them I don't remember. USA Portugal from no. 2002. I don't remember the score in that, so that would be fun. No, that's watch. a bit of a B-side, I think, isn't it? In, in terms okay. of and we got the, the show in Gary's kitchen with Wrighty and Alan Shearer at yeah. 10:20 tomorrow night, where they look at their top 10 keepers. Yeah. Then, then uh, Alan chooses some memorable games from years gone by. So they're going to see that some old footage fun. at 11 yeah. o'clock tomorrow night. Yeah, a match well. of their day, as they're as they're yeah. calling it. Okay, that's all right. That's yeah. okay. Go with that. Marvelous. Uh, I caught a bit of Dragons Den the other day. Do you still? Oh. It's it's, a, a never, it's kind of a regular changes to the uh, lineup. But do, do, have you given up with that? Are you still going? I still go with it, and and but not regularly. It's one of those things that if you're sort of flicking around and you come across it, and, and you you will stop a bit like an old episode of of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that's still got yeah. Chris Tarrant on it on Challenge TV or something or other. You think, oh, I just wait to see what that question is and what the answer. Oh yeah, you know. So mm. um, this is the last in the current series. I assume it's going to carry on. Um, but they've got one of those brilliant pitches where. A guy sort of says well, you know he does a bit to camera before he goes into the den he says well i hope i'm going to be all right i've never done this sort of thing this is way out of my comfort zone and i hope i don't forget my you know my lines as it were sure enough he forgets them and of course they they don't just say come on just just relax have a glass of water you'll be fine mate they just stare at him poor guy he's trying to do something very positive he's trying to sell them the, the idea of plastic free water <laughs> bottles made from starch <laughs> but they're you know not going to make it easy for him they didn't make it they don't make it easy either for the uh, the couple who are trying to sell them the concept of ergonomic underwear wow. um not least because it doesn't look any different from anything you just buy in m&s and then um some guy reckons he's got a radical, uh, revolutionary new idea for fold-away trays nice. for old people's armchairs. Um, and I just look at it and think, well, that's just what you get on a plane. It's just, oh, you know, yeah. it's just a sort of yeah. little thing that you just flip it across, put your food on it, um, and then have it in your lap because the person in front insists on throwing their seat back. And, um, and then you flip it back down. So, yeah, there's quite a few sort of ideas that don't seem terribly radical, but the, the, I think of the three, I would, uh, I would invest in the plastic-free water bottles. You don't really care how. That's why are. I'm in. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was uh, this afternoon's show. We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, and uh, we'll hopefully bring you uh, more of the same. Uh, until then, uh, stay safe, look after yourselves, and, uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you Monday from 1. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.